Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. It's good to see everybody. I uh, hope you got a bulletin when you came in. There are some announcements in there that uh, we want to share with you. Some are not in there. Uh, we tried to send out some notes uh, throughout the week as you get emails. So we appreciate your patience as we try to communicate with you during this time. Uh, we are not having the annual meeting today. We did put that out before. We are rescheduling that for a couple reasons. One, we want to have everything together. But for another, um, is we to do our trustee meeting, too, for the state of Maryland. We have to have one meeting. We cannot do it separately. So we're going to try to schedule that at a time when we can actually all meet together uh, long enough to do that. So be patient with us. We will bring all the stuff to you as we need. There's nothing urgent that we're missing right now, and so we will keep you aware of that time when it's coming. Also on the back of your bulletin, there are some announcements. I know uh, Brother Ken Abbott, who has been teaching the Puritan series, will be finishing up, I think, the first or second week of February. And he's going to start the Westminster Confession of Faith studies. If you have never been to the Confession of Faith, he's not going to go each paragraph, paragraph, paragraph. He's going to try to do it between now and the summer. So it'll be a, a summary teaching, but more in-depth than just reading it. Um, but before he starts that, there was a national survey done by Ligonier Ministries that showed where the nation was theologically. And it's an amazing story of how many people really believe in one God. How many people really believe the church is even necessary. How many people really believe that only through Christ can you be saved. And so he's going to actually do a few weeks as a transition into the confession of going over some of those statistics and seeing the importance of how it is that we need to be involved in teaching a community about the truths of our faith. And so some exciting times together. The women's class is going to be picking up Mrs. McFadden in February. We'll start the book of Acts, ladies. If you have ordered your book, I'm sure they'll be getting those to you. If you can't come on Sunday morning to the Sunday school time, uh, Renee Wilson is still going to do it on Tuesday nights online. So you have choice to come to the class. And yes, sometimes they mix and match uh, from Sunday morning to Tuesday night. But keep in mind, we are limited by space. So if you're interested in coming to the Sunday school class, Please call the office or sign up online so that we can get a room large enough or big enough if we're able so that you ladies can be together if you want to on Sunday morning. Otherwise, once we get them in, we have to shut doors and stop things because we can only get so many people in a room right now. So please help us by signing up if you get a chance. And then also one that's not in there that we're excited about is uh, Pastor Nick and Kirsten will be hosting this Wednesday another college and career young adult class at their house. And so if you know anybody that's the college aged or let's just say younger than 30, or as I told the other service, maybe if you feel younger than 30, uh, you can show up at their house. But we do have many college students and especially with what's going on, some young adults that have been coming. And so we definitely want to try to minister to them and reach out to them and, and provide support and biblical direction. So if you know someone or have someone interested in doing that, please let them know. And we'd be glad to reach out, contact them and invite them to be a part. Finally, let me say this. Um, with the Lord's Supper again today, I'm excited. We, little by little, over the year when we moved here, said we'd like to do it a little more often. Sometimes if you miss on the first Sunday, you'll go a long time without the Lord's Supper. Uh, I come from a tradition in which we did it weekly, and so it was a, a lot more often provided. But in saying that, I would like to ask you for some help. Um, one of the things we're going to start back up as we start meeting again is different positions. We're going to need people who are going to want to help with our fellowship our activities. We're going to need people who want discipleship, people who want to be involved in reaching out in care and part of our different ministries. But one that we really need is the sacraments ministry. If you would be interested in helping, what that entails is on the days that we have the sacrament, we need someone who is willing to just simply prepare the elements and bring them up to the service. 
And so if you're interested in doing that, it would be a great help for me and others because we do have some elders and we do have some deacons, but we've had some rotate off, some deacons rotate off, and those who aren't able to serve anymore. And so it's gotten to the point where our deacons are so busy already doing things that if we had some help doing that ministry and you feel led to be a part of that, please let me know, and we would be glad to plug you in so that you could help us as we plan to do the Lord's Supper together on a regular basis. So please let us know. And if there's other things as we announce, please let me know. We're going to have to start rebuilding uh, along with our sermon. We've been out of church for a year almost, it seems, and we're going to have to put all that back together. We're going to have to have a lot of people willing to sign up to help us get right back involved and going again. And we're obviously not going to be the same as we were. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities to serve and direct and, and to take us down the next path. And so we need you back whether you're going to be a greeter, a server, a, a ministry in the kitchen, in the fellowship, or serving meals, or helping with the shut-in, we need people back involved. And so as we announce those to you up and coming, uh, we ask that you pray about where you can serve and use your gifts to help us grow as we go forward. And we're excited to share that with you. Other than that, I don't have any other uh, great announcements to make. We'll try to keep you informed weekly as we go forward. And we appreciate, again, your patience as we do this. Um, but if you would, join me in prayer. I'm going to lead us to the throne of grace. And then if you would, in your bulletin, you will see the Lord's Prayer. If you would, join with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a blessing to be able to come, to be in the place that you've called us, in the body of Christ, together with the members that you've called together. Lord, I pray here this morning that as we gather together, uh, we would focus on your word. We would focus on your body. Help us to set aside the things that have occupied our minds this morning and give us a moment, Father, just to focus on you and your Son, your Holy Spirit, how he works in our hearts. Lord, that we're able to leave this place this morning blessed. Lord, I know again that it's not for the times and times that we've earned the right. And Father, it's not because of our obedience that we're able to come. Lord, we realize it's only through Jesus Christ as he has opened that veil to the eternal heavens that we can approach the throne of grace and pray together as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me call us to worship this morning. You'll see it printed there, but it comes from Psalms. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Let us bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. We have the chance to confess our common faith together through the words of the Shorter Catechism as we have been these past few weeks. But I'll ask a question and then let's recite together. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. I like what I heard from the back when I heard when I said, are there more gods than one? No. <laughs> Very good. Um, now we have the chance to confess our sins together as we pray by using the prayer that's in your bulletin. So let's pray together and confess our sins. 
O God, our Father, we come to you humbly confessing our sins. Be merciful to us, O Lord. Remember not our offenses. Do not deal with us as our sins deserve, nor reward us according to our wickedness. We confess to you our blindness of heart, our love of ease, our failure to do what is good, and our worldly pride and boasting. Forgive us, O merciful Father, for Jesus' sake. Grant us repentance from sin and a true and living faith in Jesus Christ, that we may magnify your name, that we may seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that we may love you and our neighbor with all our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we've confessed our sins. We've confessed our need that we fall short and the sufficiency of Jesus our Savior to forgive us. But now receive this promise from Psalm 106. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Yet he saved us for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. Our salvation is about God. We receive it by faith. We receive it because of God's grace, but it's for his glory. He is at work in us. So if you're looking to Jesus Christ, if you want to be rid of your sin, be assured that your sins are forgiven as you look to Jesus Christ. We are going to continue our journey through Nehemiah and finish up our introduction that Nehemiah gives us. And I remind you this morning that if you're in a place of rebuilding as we go through Nehemiah, I challenge you, don't just look at one part of your life. Nehemiah was written not just to rebuild a life of individuals and people with God, but to rebuild the whole community. God may just be calling you at some point to help him share the kingdom. Don't just think that rebuilding means fixing relationships. It may mean that God wants to rebuild an entire aspect of your life to move you into a whole new direction where he can use you more for the kingdom than he's ever done before. But before that can happen, yes, you need to make sure that your life is right with Christ. So I want to challenge you this morning here in chapter 1. We'll finish up. The three things I want to share with you as we get going forward is this morning that we have the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, I speak to you this morning about what it means to be redeemed and ready. That if you are in Christ and you've been redeemed and you've been rebuilt, then you are ready to rebuild all things around your life. Whether it's your careers, your relationships, uh, appointments, dreams, Whatever it is, you are ready. You've been redeemed, and you're ready. The question then becomes, how do we do this? And so Nehemiah finishes up in this introduction. Three things I want to share with you. You can write them down if you want to, or just remember them as you go. First of all, we're going to talk about the importance of rebuilding with a covenant God. A covenant God. Second of all, we learn through Nehemiah the importance of the cupbearer. And then finally, we learn about the importance of Christ the Redeemer. And so if these three things help us in rebuilding, then we know that we too can make an honest evaluation of life. We can do what is necessary, tear down the things that need to be tore down, start rebuilding what needs to be, and we have no excuse. You have been redeemed. You have all that you need to be ready to rebuild. And so this morning, listen to Nehemiah as he begins in verse 8. 
as he continues his speaking to God. This is Nehemiah, verse 8, chapter 1, speaking to God. He says, God, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. I'm paraphrasing so you'll understand. You said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he says, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. I want to take you on a journey this morning in rebuilding as we go forward to understand why it is that you are ready. First of all, we have a covenant-keeping God. Listen to what Nehemiah finishes in his prayer. In a nutshell, he says this, God, do you not remember what you promised us? God, you have now placed on the hearts of your people what they need to accomplish. Do you not remember what it is that you said you would do? Do you see, Nehemiah is taking us back to this covenant-keeping God where he realizes that the only way to accomplish the task is through the help of God. And that God has not forgotten what he promised his people. Yes, the walls are breaking down. Yes, the gates have been burned. Yes, the people have brought shame to God. There is disgrace amongst the entire understanding of those around them. Yet God has not forgotten. And maybe this morning you can say to yourself, I feel like that's my life, Pastor. I feel like that's me the last five years. I feel like things are slowly falling apart. Things are just burning down. I don't feel safe and I don't feel protected anymore. I feel like things are getting out of hand and that I brought shame through the things in my life. I just feel like I've not done what God's called me to do. And Nehemiah says, don't worry. We have a covenant-keeping God that has never forgotten his promises. Wherever you are in rebuilding, you must first come to God. You must first make it right with God. Now, I want you to understand, as we understand in this prayer right here, when he says, the outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather you. The brokenness that we learn from Nehemiah, no difference than Isaiah and Jeremiah, that Ezekiel cries out to us. It's the brokenness that's been scattered because of sin. God will not let sin go unpunished. But as our lives are broken... And they're scattered about. It's only the covenant God who is faithful that's able to bring them back together and to make them right. Let me insert here, as I did in other places, if you remember the teaching of Henry Blackaby, he taught a series back at the turn of the century, for those of you who know you're getting old. And he shared with us the importance of what it means to experience God. And Henry Blackaby wrote in a wonderful discipleship course that he said, we get off track and we begin to go our own direction but a covenant-keeping God always brings us back to the place we departed in order for us to be faithful. So folks, now I remind you that maybe it is that God's bringing you back to the place that you departed. You can't just allow time to heal things. You know why it doesn't work with God? You know why time doesn't work with God? Because God's above time. God's not in time. 
God's the one that's created time. And so we find ourselves realizing that time doesn't heal. When you're talking about a covenant faithful God, time's not an issue. Faithfulness is the issue. He's going to bring you back to the place where things need to be healed, where things need to be dealt with. If something has gone wrong between you and your children, between you and your parents, between you and your church, whatever it is that's gone wrong, you've got to go back to the place. God's not going to allow you to be deemed a faithful servant without being faithful. And yet as a covenant-keeping God, He's the one that's enabling you to do it. He's the one that's giving you His Holy Spirit. He's the one that's keeping His promises. And the most wonderful thing about it is He said, all these pieces are brought back to the place that I have chosen for you. God has not forgotten what He's created for you. God has not forgotten His purpose for you. God has not forgotten His plan. Oh, it goes clear back to the days as we've talked with Adam and Eve, when they hid themselves, when they sinned. Adam and Eve thought that they could hide from God, maybe get away for a while. What they didn't realize was the God they had betrayed and brought shame upon was the God who would seek them out and heal them. This covenant faithful God is the same God who's seeking you out. In the times that we find ourselves in sin and wanting to run and hide, He finds us and He heals us. And this wonderful God that's in the process of rebuilding, I'll get into it a little bit later, is the same God that understands rebuilding. Because when he rebuilt the relationship with Adam and Eve, he didn't just crush them, send them back to the dust, and start over again. He took what he had. He took what was good. Do you remember in the whole process of creation, when he got all done with creation, he said it was what? It was very good. You see, in the process of rebuilding, he didn't just say, man, they failed, they're done with, let's just get a whole new human race. He took what he had and he rebuilt it. He took the fallenness and the sin and the brokenness and he patched it back together to the original relationship that was necessary. And you know, from that moment on in Genesis, when we get what's known as the proto-euangelizomai, the first evangelistic outreach, when we are told about the serpent and woman's child. It's now the entire Old Testament of unfolding the redemption of God rebuilding his relationship and covenants with his creation. God knows rebuilding. The covenant faithful keeping God knows exactly what you need, knows what you've been going through, and he's allowed things to happen in your life. And for the sin that's been dealt with, the pieces can be broken. There are struggles. There are parts of your wall falling out, the gates that have been broken, and things need to be fixed. I get it. But it's never too late for a new beginning. Nehemiah tells us if you're in that process right now, you've been redeemed and you're ready. Now let's begin rebuilding through that help of a covenant faithful God. But that's not it. He takes us on a little bit journey that I want you to understand. It's not just that covenant keeping God that we have. It's about the cupbearer. Let me spend just a moment, not to bore you, you can all read the stories we've told you before. That cupbearer isn't just the person that's most important to the king. It was also that person that was in the position of being expendable. We also realized that he was one that would have to take the shots that the king was going to take. But the cupbearer also had some mighty, mighty good blessings. It was the cupbearer that had his whole life protected. It was the cupbearer that was deemed as important as the king by everybody else. It was the cupbearer that had a cushion life, everything set, everything fixed. And yet, listen to what Nehemiah says. Mark this down, circle it in your Bible. In an all-new sentence, totally different from the prayer of his people, he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. In other words, in order to rebuild, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. 
You can't stay what you are and expect things to change. Nehemiah is reminding us that he was a cupbearer and how comfort of a life that must have been. Yet it was God who was calling him to forsake the comfort of his own life and to step out and face the uncertainties that need to be faced, to go through the inconveniences that need to be gone through, to rebuild those things that nobody else could rebuild and remain in the comfort of their own situation. Maybe you're a cupbearer to the king. You've had a cushion life. You don't understand what it means to be without insurance, to be without the next meal, where the next house is going to be, if your children are going to have the health they need, the doctors are going to know what surgery to perform, if the diagnostics are going to come back good or bad. You see, many of us have lived a life that's cushion and understand only what it means to be cupbearer. But here, Nehemiah writes us and he says, let's talk about it this way. I was a cupbearer, but now God has called me to rebuild. And I have to leave the comforts of the life I have in order to be the servant God wants me to be. And so he says this, as most of us would, ask in our own generation when anything changed, it's this question, what's in it for me? Maybe you find yourself wanting to rebuild things, and the question is always asked, what do I get out of this? How is this going to be any better for me? How is this going to change my life and make it any better? We live in such a self-centered society that we don't understand what it means to change, that it's okay to be scared. It's okay to say things you've never said before. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. Let me give you a few words that will help you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I should not have said that. I really didn't mean it. You see, when you get out of your comfort zone, you now have to say, well, if I say that, I could be deemed as someone who is weak and I may lose control and I may have to admit that I was at fault. And the, the truth of it is there's too much pride in me and I'm too proud to admit it. I'd rather just let it go and I'll solve it because they know how I felt. You're living as a cupbearer and don't understand what that means to leave your comfort zone in order to make things right. So I'll share a story with you that Hawkins writes, Pastor Hawkins from Texas, if you didn't know years ago, back at the turn of the century when he's writing in Nehemiah, shared a story. I can't remember it all. I'll have to paraphrase parts as I go. You can go back and get the statistics. They're not really important numerically. But the dates remind me still of the importance of what he said. He said, talking about leaving our comfort zone, he brought up football. He was an avid football player, and he reminded us that football, as you know, those of you old enough to know old football, was played between the what? The tackles. It was that old beat-em-up, throw-em-up kind of game. Any of you who played high school football know because your knees hurt, your hips hurt, because it was a game of roughing each other up. It was like the old scrum I had in in rugby at college. I hate to tell you this. We weren't allowed to play football because it was too rough. So they gave us a rugby team. Yeah, now if that doesn't make sense. We peeled skin off of our foreheads playing rugby, but we couldn't play football. But he shared the story with football because he said for years it was between the tackles. It was the hut one, hut two, hut three. Everybody hit the line and the biggest line win. And man, it was the larger you are, the better you are, the stronger you are. And you left sore. And you scored seven points a game, maybe ten. If you're lucky, you got two scores. It wasn't until centuries later that Walter Payton began to say that running really was an avid sport and that people could do well at it. 
But what he shared with us was this. It was back in the turn of the century that the football league decided to make the forward pass a legal play. And it wasn't until 1906 that it became a legal play. And nobody wanted to use the forward pass. Do you know why? 75% of the options of a pass could go wrong. Folks, let's go through them. 75% of your options when you take a risk could go wrong. You want to rebuild and you want to get out of your comfort zone? It could go wrong. You could hike the ball back up and get what? Sacked. Ruin a play. Lose the down. What good was that? You could also hike the ball and throw it down the field and it would get what? Intercepted. And what good was that to turn the ball over? You could also hike the ball, throw it, and the receiver would drop it. And what good was that? Do You see, three out of four options for the pass weren't good options at all. But for the one that did work, you could drop back, go 40 yards, and make a catch and change the game forever. Well, nobody really wanted that until two years later, the University of St. Louis took on an offense of forward passing, outscored their opponents 207 to 11, I think it was. And the rest is history. Today we run the West Coast offense, passes for two yards, one yard, five yards. We have records set in the books, not by running backs. If you're like me, you remembered the running game well. I could tell you those top running backs, whether they were Emmett Smith, right, from the very top, where Walter Payton is at the fifth now. Frank Gore's going to go. But when it came to passing, that's all we know now. Because now we pass 5,000 yards a season in one quarterback. We talk about the receivers and the quarterbacks. They're always the MVPs because everything changed. But for those who weren't willing to pass, you never got a chance to rebuild and to experience the blessing that comes when you leave your comfort zone. Man, I don't know what your comfort zone is, and I'm not saying it's football at all. But what I'm saying is for those of you who are unwilling to take a risk, listen to the voice of God and become his servant. You will never rebuild the way God wants you to rebuild. You've got to trust in a covenant-keeping God. And you've got to be willing to, in the past, be a cupbearer. Be willing to leave that comfort of your own house, your own job. Maybe you've been sacked and had to start over. Most successful careers in this world were not the people who tried once, but what? Twice and three times. If at first you don't succeed, what? Try again. I remember one of our largest churches in Saddleback. Rick Warren was the pastor years ago, and he wrote a quick article. I'll share it. They asked him why it was that everything he did was so successful. His response back was, you've got it all wrong. What we have now is successful, but I had to start a hundred things to find the one that worked. He said the difference in our church and your church is that you'll start one thing, and if it doesn't work, you'll quit. We'll try a hundred things to find the one that works. Where are you when you're rebuilding? Did you try it one time and it didn't work so you quit? You just hung it up and thought, man, this isn't worth the effort. This isn't worth the loss of comfort. This isn't worth the unknown and the inconvenience. Or did you try it twice? Or is the third time a charm? Or maybe you realize the importance of rebuilding and serving God is to try, try, and try. It's never too late to begin again with God. And so I find you this morning asking yourself, what are you so slow to change? What are you slow, so slow to face? 
Let's ask about our church and rebuilding. Let's just put it into perspective when we leave our comfort zone. Pastor, don't you dare change our music. Mm -mm. Pastor, don't you dare. I'm telling you right now, if we have to give up the hymn book, I'm out of here. If we're going to see a different style of music, I'm gone. You hang a projector, I'm hanging you. Oh, I've heard the stories. We're so uncertain about the future. You asking me to teach? You really want me to teach in this church? I don't know where you are this morning, but I'll tell you what. For those who said, if you ever give up VBS, your church is going to go under. We didn't do VBS last year. We had summer fun days, and we had some of the best days of our lives. You see, you've got to be willing to step out. You've got to be willing to get out of the comfort zone. I'm not saying change scripture. I'm not saying change the Bible. We've said it all the time in preaching. We change the methods, but we never change the what? The message. We're not asking you to change the truths. We're asking you to get uncomfortable so that we can expand the truths. If you want your relationships to work, you're going to have to try again. You're going to have to try this time with God. And you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to be able to do what God's asked you to do. All of a sudden we realize all the changes that are necessary. He was the servant to the king. He's now left to be a servant to the peoples and to follow what God's asked. So let me quickly say without a football analogy, I know it's hard. I won't bore you with more sports, but let me say this quickly about the whole point of changing paradigms. At the turn of the century, a hundred years ago century, the Swiss made watches. 95% of the entire world market was covered by the Swiss who made watches. Young engineer, inventor came along and said, you know what, I made a watch that you can now just twist your wrist and you don't have to wind it anymore. And the Swiss were like, what? Well, people picked it up and started making those watches. It wasn't long after that that they came along, another smart aleck, and said, you know what, you don't even have to worry about your watch. You can just put a battery in it. Now your battery will keep your watch going. You don't have to worry about it winding anymore. Any of you got a battery-run watch? They weren't interested in the change, and so others picked it up. Until Texas Instruments showed up and said, you don't even have to have a face on your watch anymore. We can now have a digital watch, and it can just be numbers. Unable to leave their comfort zone and to make the changes, today the Swiss have less than 5% of the watch market. From a total dominance to barely existing because they were unable to get out of their comfort zones and to watch life completely go by. Parents, let me put it in perspective. Your children will, will raise your grandchildren different than you did. It's okay. It's okay. They're surrounded around people you weren't surrounded around. Their marriages are going to be totally different. Their friends are going to come home with differences. Their lives are totally different. Now, don't give up on the truths. But they don't have to be your methods. If you want relationships to work, we may have to begin by saying it doesn't have to be our way. We need to get out of our comfort zone and let God do it his way. So maybe you find yourself taking the risk the walls are needing in your life to be fixed. You realize now, you know what, Pastor, the truth of it is, I got a few loose bricks. Yeah, I think we all do. 
but you might also find out that the gates that once protected you most, that you trusted in most, let me say this gently, the gate that kept you safe has died. You thought it would be your spouse to the end, and they are no more. You found it in your children and the glory they would bring, and you never dreamed they would go before you. You see, sometimes the gates that protect our lives that we trust in get burned. And we have to realize the trust cannot be in the gates, cannot be in the walls. Our trust must be in who? In God. In a covenant-keeping God who has sent us out as though we were cupbearers, redeemed by the king, and now called to make a change and to leave the comfort of our homes, the comfort of our status, the comfort of our churches, and begin to rebuild a kingdom. Oh, finally, you may feel like life is all falling apart, but I remind you that Nehemiah says it's never too late to begin again. So we look at Christ, the Redeemer. As we look forward to the shadow, it was Christ that came to rebuild our lives. It was Christ that came to undo the things that we had done, the sin that needed to be conquered, the sin that needed to be dealt with, the sin that we needed to escape from. He came to rebuild these relationships that God sent him to do, the ones that he created at first to fill us with a new spirit, to give us back the direction that he had for us, to give us the word as our guidance to know that we're pleasing to him, to let us know that we fulfilled our purpose that God has given and most importantly, to provide us the protection just like he did Jerusalem. Sometimes you may feel like God's forgotten about you. Let me read Isaiah 49. Just listen. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? The answer is yes she may forget. And God says, yet I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hand and your walls are continually before me. You see, you may feel like things are falling apart, but the almighty covenant-keeping God has you in the palm of his hands. He's got you engraved in his life. He's never forgotten about you. He's got a task for you to be sent on. And he sent Jesus Christ to make it real. Jesus is the one willing to come. Identify with us. Folks, catch this. This is important. How do you see Jesus in this? Think about this. We said that in order to rebuild, you had to be willing to make the change. You had to identify with the needs. You had to take responsibility. You had to get out of your comfort zone. It was going to take more than you could do on your own. Now catch this. It was Jesus Christ who was willing to come to leave as the cupbearer to the king at the right hand of the Father, to leave the glory behind. He was willing to make the change, to make the journey, to go back and make things right. He identified with the need. He became one of us. He became like us so that he would know exactly what was needed. He took the personal responsibility. The Bible even says he wept over us. He took the responsibility, left his comfort zone in heaven and accomplished the task set before him by God and rebuilt our lives.
He took on our sin, died our death so we could live again, laid aside his glory, clothed himself in human flesh so you and I could have a whole new beginning. Yes, you have been redeemed. You are ready. It's time to rebuild. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that your word reminds us through Nehemiah that your son has come. He has come to do just what you have planned. Father, not to throw us away, to get rid of us, and to recreate something new from another material of creation. But Father, he took that which he created and rebuilt it reformed and fashioned it as a clay pot, put the pieces back together, filled us with his Holy Spirit. God, you've given us a new beginning. And Father, because you've given us a new beginning, I pray that you'll lead us to help others with their new beginnings. That we would come to realize that only through your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, Are we able to get out of our comfort zones and to have a new beginning? Thank you, Father, for forgiving us, cleansing us for all the times that we have sinned and failed. And we give you the praise and glory rather than the shame. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we begin to celebrate again this morning the sacrament, I'm going to invite the officers that are going to help to come down. If we could have about six if we're available. I'm going to share a minute from Corinthians, but I want to say this is the reality of what happens. This is the reality of when Jesus left the throne of heaven. This is the reality when he set aside his glory. This is the reality that we ourselves could not do it by ourselves. This is the reality of being refreshed and rebuilt. When Jesus met with his disciples, he simply said, this is my body for you. And so as we explain it this morning, let me just fence the table by saying this does not rebuild your life. Taking of the bread and drink does not rebuild your life unless you are in Jesus Christ. You must be rebuilt with him first. If you're here this morning and you've never made a profession of faith, you've never called upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, this means nothing. But for those of us who trust, for those of us who've been called by Christ, For those of us who've been forgiven of our sins and we now live every step of our day wanting to follow him in faithfulness, this is where we come to be nourished. This is where we come to have our faith strengthened. This is where we come to get what we need to rebuild our lives. So as they pass this out this morning, we're going to begin to share it. I ask that you take of the bread as they offer it to you and hold it until we can take together. As they are passing it out, please let me read. What Jesus said to the disciples, he began, or Paul did, he began to share a story in frustration of how people were handling their lives. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. 
For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you would be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead in his own meal. One goes hungry, another even gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you not despise, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was there in the upper room that he took the bread before them and he said, This is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. In the same way, they took the cup after the bread, the supper. Said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let each person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You see, the Old Testament sacrifice was people rebuilding their lives every year, bringing a sacrifice and offering the sacrifice for the blood that could not cleanse the conscience. You could find cleansing for your sin, but still feel guilty. And when Christ came and he rebuilt in the new covenant, he now took away not only our sins, but he gave us a conscience that could be cleansed. You can rebuild and know that God has forgiven you, cleansed you, and enabled you to do it the right way. And so as he took the cup, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that your son Jesus Christ was willing, that he left the portals of heaven, that he came to us, he became with us, he took on our sins. He took them to the cross. He nailed them there. He was buried and he rose again, Lord, to prove that all has been accomplished. Lord, help us to feel, help us to understand and know that we have been redeemed and we are ready to rebuild. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would receive the benediction. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.